All right. Good morning, everybody. Now, let's pray. Okay? We spend time in the presence of God, but now let's commit ourselves to receive from God the truth from His Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, once again we come to You. Lord, we love You, but Lord, we also, Your Word says to love according to your truth and worship you in spirit and in truth this is what we need lord to be people who worship you in spirit and in truth so now we pray for an impartation of your truth from this amazing book revelation lord and uh, <clears throat> reveal to us lord by the power of your holy spirit and also help me father to communicate clearly and uh, that people will understand the hearers will understand and be blessed and be impacted by your truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now we are at this point of the book of Revelation. We are now, I'm going to talk this morning about the, the last set of judgment, God's judgments, because there are three sets in the whole book of Revelation. The seals the trumpets and the bowls. Now we're at that point now to speak about the seven bowls. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. So, learning from the book of Revelation, we've said it before, but I want to push that again, this point, that God's judgments reveal His character because the purpose of His judgments is to get people's attention so, so as to give them the opportunity to repent. And once they repent, obviously, they are saved. So, which means God's judgment is not the worst for mankind. It's a good thing for them. But what is worse for mankind, you know, I want to say this, the most tragic situation or the most tragic condition of mankind is the inability or the unwillingness to come to that point of repentance after everything that, that, that they, they, they experience and yet not able to come to that point of repentance. Because the truth is, it's not the measure or the, the severity of our sins that will disqualify us or qualify us uh, to be with God for eternity, to be in His presence. But it is about the sincerity and the genuineness of our repentance. We're going to blow it. I will do it tomorrow, maybe. Or the day after, or maybe even this afternoon. We are sinful people justified by Jesus. Okay? By faith in Jesus. We will do it. So, part of the expression of our faith is that we acknowledge Jesus. We know we've done this. We call that repentance, which is an expression of our faith. Uh, we express our shortcoming, and yet at the same time, we express our faith in His mercy and His grace. All right? So repentance is a glorious thing. This tra tragedy 
we will see clearly as we tackle this last set, set of God's judgments, which is the seven balls. So to tackle this thing, we need to cover, actually this, this whole discussion is covered from verse, uh, chapter 14 all the way to chapter 16, okay? So in context, I want to say this. So the context is this. Before we get, get into chapter 14, after what seems like a great defeat of the church in chapter 13, yeah, John then presents the scene in heaven because in chapter 13, the two beasts against, against the church. So, uh, so it, it seems like uh, the church was, was defeated. So after what, what, what looks like, a great defeat of the church, John then presents, brings the, the, the readers into chapter 14, uh, and in verse, in the very first, uh, first passage of chapter 14, verse 1 to 5, John lays out the ultimate joyous, joyous end for the faithful. This is in chapter 14, verse 1 to verse 5. And then in that also, he, he shows how the believers standing, you know, they, were, they are standing before God and singing the song that, and, and as, as John says, a song that no one could learn except for them. Beautiful scene. It's like no one could, could learn this song. And it was like, when I read that, I thought, wow, be, before, you know, from eternity past, the angels were singing song of worship, obviously glorifying God. He is worthy. He is holy. There's always that song from eternity past, if we, if we can say that. But after the redemption of Jesus, there is a new song that the 144,000, you know, in, in this passage, talks about the 144,000, which, as we've talked about before, describes the, the multitude, the, the innumerable people before the throne of God. And it says that they sing the song that no one else could learn. So without pushing it too hard, I believe it is the song of redemption because only the redeemed can, can sing that song. So it's the song of the redeemed. So, here's the point though. While the scene is an encouragement for the believers to remain faithful, I believe also it is a motivation for sinners to repent. Alright? I believe John presents this just to say, hey, to show, listen, this is the end. It looks pretty bad for the believers, but this is, this is their ultimate end, the joyous end before the presence of God. I believe this, that John has written this for that purpose because the immediate thing that is presented after this scene is the pronouncement of the doom of Babylon, beginning from verse, uh, chapter, you know, in chapter 14, beginning from verse 8. It is as if John is trying to show the contrast. Listen, this is the end of the faithful, and this is the end of Babylon. 
the two contrasting reality here. So what John is trying to say, as I read chapter 14 here, is like, listen, the indulgence of the nations in the passionate wine of this, uh, this uh, uh, woman's harlotry and adulteries is coming to an end. He wrote this in, 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 chapter, in, in chapter 4, verse 8. And those who indulge in her wine will unavoidably drink the wine of God's wrath. So he gives this, this uh, uh, two, two sides of, of the coins. The people in the world who refuse God indulge in the immorality and sexual immorality, obviously physical and spiritual, spiritually speaking, uh, naturally and spiritually speaking, while they in, indulge in the, in the passionate wine of the woman's idolatry, God's response ultimately will be, they will be drinking also the wine of God's wrath. So the pronouncement of judgment against the, the Babylon, the fall, the fall of Babylon or the doom of Babylon, it, it is described in, in chapter 14, verse 12, as the good news. Well, it is good news for the believers. Sometimes you think, you know, judgment is it good news? Well, it is good news for the believers because, because it means vindication and peace for the righteous. Okay? So that's what it is. It is good news for those who are faithful to the end. So, and in pr pronouncing the judgment, John then used uh, the language that, that language that Jesus used in his teaching concerning the end time harvest, which is Matthew chapter thirteen, verse uh, thirty-seven to forty-three. I believe it is possible that John saw the end of Rome as the end. Of the world, I believe that's what how John saw it, and he was anticipating the end of the world. So once again, before laying out the details of the uh, set of the seven bowls of judgment, John was given yet another heavenly scene. So after pronouncing this judgment concerning Babylon, the end, the tragic end of Babylon, by the time we arrive at uh, chapter 15, John once again was given this vision of the heavenly scene. Now, as it is in the first set of judgments with the seals, The pronouncement of the judgments or the, the, the release of the scenes was preceded by the scene in heaven, in the throne room, in chapter 4. All right? In chapter 4 and chapter 5. And uh, it, there is uh, the, the scene of the throne room. And uh, this set, the seven balls, is also preceded by the same scene, the scene of heaven, 
that we just that we're talking about just then. Now, this time, this time I notice that the presentation of the the scene of the presence of God or the throne room scene, unlike the the, the like like the what happened in in before the the uh, the the seven seals, the first judgment, with this one. The, the the scene of the, the the heavenly scene was shown twice chapter 14 verse 1 to 5 and then chapter 15 verse 1 to 8 as a matter of fact in chapter 15 the whole chapter is actually is about the heavenly scene wow now here's the difference the difference in this scene however is that in the scene right before the the, uh, the seven seals were, was released, there was no mention of believers in God's throne room. This time, however, in God's presence, in these two scenes, God's presence is filled with those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his uh, his name, the name of the beast, 666. And they held harps given by them, given them by God, and they sang the song of Moses. That's chapter 15, verse 2 to 3. The best part of this scene is that it is possibly the song that they sang is the same song that like it was said in, in chapter 14, verse 1 to 5, the song that no one could learn. That's the best part of it. It's like there's a new song in heaven where we sing the song of the redeemed. No one could learn but us. I don't think angels could learn. We'll leave it at that. That's the best part. Now, however, the saddest part, okay, that's the best part of, of that scene, but the saddest part of this scene is the end of it. Towards the end, let's, let's read in, in the, the end of, 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 of that scene, is that it says that the temple was filled with smoke. This is the end of, of chapter 15. Last verse. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And listen to this. This is what he said. And it says, No one could enter the temple. Okay? No one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. It's interesting. In the midst of this glorious presence of God, there's worship. Here comes the statement. As the closing closing remark of the, the scene in heaven. As I read that, I feel like it is as if God, God says, Great, I've shown you my presence. It's time for judgment. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. So chapter 15 is like 
it's like a, a chapter that describes a preparation for the release of God's last set of judgments, which is the seven balls. It's crazy. It was like, okay, I've shown you this, I've shown you this, with the hope that you're going to repent, and I've given you opportunity after opportunity. Let's get on with the job. Let's move on. Time for judgment. Now let's talk about the seven balls here. The seven balls, some of the details of the judgment here in chapter 16, we're moving to chapter 16 now, they are similar to the judgments that is recorded in, in the last set, which is the seven trumpets. Okay? And, uh, and some, if, if not most, of the plagues that, that we find in this judgment as well as in the trumpets, okay, they're similar, as a matter of fact, they allude to those in Egypt. When Israel was in Egypt, they got 10 plagues. And uh, they're all similar, however, with greater, greater intensity. We'll, 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 we'll see how. Now, I want to, uh, to, to uh, just clarify some, some of the, something, uh, one, one word here. In this, the, 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 the name Armageddon is men mentioned. And uh, so uh, many people have talked about the battle of Armageddon and uh, all, all kinds of interpretation, but I want to explain this. Armageddon basically means the hill or mountain of Megiddo. Megiddo. Okay? This place called Megiddo, actually it's a plain, but for some reason, in obviously it's symbolic. Uh, in in uh, in the book of Revelation is 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 referred to as the mountain, and yet it's a plain of Megiddo. Megiddo. So it's a Hebrew word meaning the mountain or the hill of Megiddo. It is located on Jezreel plain. It is a strategic on route linking Egypt uh, to uh, Syria. If you read the story, uh, the history of Israel, many battles were fought there, and it was near there that the famous lady uh, hero of Israel called Deborah, Deborah defeated Sisera and the Canaanites. You can read that story in Judges chapter five, verse nineteen. So it's a it's a strategic, it's a place of war where people. People did a lot of war happen there, and uh, however, the most relevant Old Testament scripture to Revelation concerning this place is found in Zechariah chapter twelve, verse ten, all the way to chapter thirteen, verse one. Simply, the depiction that Zechariah presents in 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 those uh, two verse, uh, chapters, the, the conclusion is that uh, Armageddon is a place of grief. 
But another another point that I think is 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 powerful is that the passage of Zechariah on this place Armageddon about this place Armageddon is a passage that describes God's final victory over the nations. Now, in talking about Armageddon, many people focus about they focus on this fearful and intense end time battle. However, as I read John's writing, John's focus is not the fearful or horrendous, scary sort of uh, situation. His focus is about God's entire or ultimate final victory over the evil power. Yeah. So John is positive about this. This is the most exciting place because this is where God shows his victory. Now, I know a lot of people when they talk about end time, they talk about Armageddon. Mind you, to some people who believe in rapture, Armageddon means Armageddon out of here. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny, but Armageddon out of here. But, but that's, that's what it is. It's a place of God's final victory. So John writes this just to, to uh, present that how exciting it is when that time comes. So in this presentation of the third set of judgments, the seven balls, the readers can see what can be said as the most tragic state of mankind. If we, as we read it, I, I, I thought, wow, this is crazy. Just like in the days of Israel in Egypt, right? When God sent his plagues, ten plagues of them, it was crazy. When you, when you read it, it's like, wow, water turning into blood and, and uh, plagues of hell, hailstorm, and, and all, you know, ultimately the death of the firstborn and many other things. However, just like in the days of Israel and Egypt, when the plagues happened, Pharaoh, the king, King Pharaoh did not repent because of the plagues. He, just because of the plagues, it didn't make him, it didn't cause him to come to repentance. So what John is trying to communicate is that just like Pharaoh in the time of the plagues did not repent, the Pharaoh at the time of the writing of Revelation, which is Nero, and the people under him, they didn't repent either. So, it seems that up until that point, this is what, 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 what he said, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity were given to man to turn around to repent and be saved. Yet while there are some who, yeah, respond to the call to repent, others, on the other hand, just didn't make it. It's like, 
if I could say they reached that point of no turning back. That's why you see that scene in heaven. It was like almost like God's final uh, opportunity that God's given. The scene of heaven being shown twice before the release of the judgment. As she will say, come on guys, this is good. And then God said, okay, that's it. Let's move on with judgment. I want to read some of the verses that show the tragic situation with men from this chapter, chapter 16. Let's just read chapter 16, verse 8, where it says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched, verse 9, by the fierce heat, and they, listen to this, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. I thought, man, if I am confronted by God who has power over the plague, my, you think logically, you would say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, because he has the power to, to reverse it. But instead of crying out for God's mercy, they cursed God. <laughs> it, I mean, it happened in, in the previous chapters that we read, chapter uh, 6, where people cried out to the mountain to fall on them because of the wrath of God. It says they didn't repent. And uh, in chapter 11, however, when, when the, after the, the activities of the witnesses, then there was another judgment, judgment came. The good, the good thing is that it says people gave glory to God, which is awesome. So there's something happened there. Now, there are other situations where people didn't re repent. One thing for, for not to repent, but this point is almost like they've gone to another level. Not only that they did not repent, but they cursed God. Whoa. Who had the power to turn the whole thing, the whole scenario around. Hmm. And listen to chapter, chapter 16, same chapter, verse 10. It says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Okay? There's darkness, eh? And it says here, People gnawed their tongues in anguish. And verse 11, listen to this. And cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their sins. Wow. Like I said, it's like that you come to that point of no turning back.
I believe this is the saddest state of mankind. The beautiful thing about this thing called repentance, as I read the book of Revelation, it's crazy. It's this thing called repentance. The beautiful part of it is that it is available to all people. As a matter of fact, even to the false prophets. In chapter 2, verse 16, when, when there was a false prophet, her name was Jezebel, real person, her name was Jezebel, and she was teaching crazy thing as bad as the practice of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Romans, the uh, uh, emperor worship cult. Probably not as bad, but pretty much she's there. And false prophets, false teachers, and yet the, the scripture says that God, God said, uh, Jesus said to, to John, I give her an op opportunity to repent. Wow. So it's there for everybody. Doesn't matter how bad we are. It's there for us. And uh, all are Im invited to repent. As a matter of fact, in chapter 11, where, you know, at the death of, of the two witnesses, even though people ridiculed the two witnesses, which is the church, there's a there's a there's an indication in verse 13 of people actually repented because it says and people gave glory to God. So even at that point of of being the enemy of God, the enemy of, of, of the church, and yet at the very last point it says when the judgment came and Everything happened, and it says people gave glory to God. So it's available for everybody. Once again, it's not the measure of our sins that will qualify or disqualify us to be in God's presence. But it is our repentance. How sincere and how genuine is our repentance. One thing about repentance, I, I need to I need to uh, to point out is that repentance. Sometimes people think, oh, oh sorry, God, oops, sorry, I mean, and they they kind of general, they sort of like just it's like a generalize their offense. I'm gonna push this. All right, repentance is specific. It's not like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry how you feel. Or uh, No, repentance is specific. And there are five things, that, five ingredients that I think is important. Maybe there are more, but I think this is, this five is at least five, these five need to be there when you repent. Number one is recognition. You recognize where you have fallen. And number two, acknowledgement. Number three, admission. That could be the same acknowledgement as admission. Okay. And then number four is the confession. Just speak it. God, I did this. Uh, 
just like uh, David, have mercy on me, he said. If you read in Psalm 51, it was very clear what David, what David did. The repentance was beautiful. And of course, the last point is that once you've, once recognition is there, acknowledge, acknowledgement is there, admission is there, and you've made the confession, confession, and then the next point is turning away. Just turn away. Now, I'm not saying that once you've repented, you're not going to repeat it, but hopefully you won't, but there's always a possibility we sleep, but doesn't matter. Keep doing it. Keep acknowledging it. Okay, Lord, I've done it again. I'm sorry, Lord. Because remember, the Bible describes you and I as those who are being saved. Okay, those who are being saved. That's, I believe, that's it. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. I, something like that. But here's the, here's the, the warning scripture for, for you and I, where there's no point of turning back, that we have to have the fear of God when we listen to the scripture. In uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 24, where it says, it talks about the people who fail to repent. He said, uh, concerning these people who rebel against God. He said, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God just gave them up. And verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them up to these honorable passions. And since they did not see, it, see fit to acknowledge God, once again, he said, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. It's crazy. Paul describes these kind of people in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And he says, this is what he, what he wrote. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars, now listen to this, whose consciences are seared. Wow. It's almost like you know how the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, it says, I'll give you the heart of flesh. And I'm taking out the heart of stone in you and replace it with the heart of flesh. Um, speaking of tenderness of the flesh. Now, this word, see, imagine it's like you, know, you have a hot iron and you see it like... Uh, and... If you think like that, it's like our conscience can be seared like that through the hardness of our hearts. So I think what we learn is from this, like I said, for all of us to have a tender heart always before God, always, 
always choose. Like repentance is a pathway to recovery, a pathway to restoration, a pathway to the back to the uh, to the presence of God. I live for the presence of God. And in Revelation, again and again, we are, we've been presented with the presence of God, the throne room, over and over. That's where we belong. But the way to get there is to live this life of repentance. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord. We don't want to be like the people that are described here, Lord where opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Lord, there are many, I know there are some Christians and many of them, Lord, that for whatever reason, disappointed with the church, they're disappointed with their, with their, in their relationship, whatever it is, they, they turn around and blame you. I pray, Lord, that you will give them the gift of repentance. Lord, just take away the hardness of their hearts. Take that heart of stone and turn it into the heart of flesh. Give them tender heart, Lord. And also for me, Lord, I want to always have a tender to, to have a tender heart before you. Let, let it be our first response to you. Yes, Lord. The people in my life, Lord, our first response to you is, doesn't matter what situation, doesn't matter what happened, we will always come to you. It's like we're not going to run from you, but we, are, we will run to you for that restoration. Bless your people, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. God is good. Amen. He loves us.